Welcome back, y'all, to Real Ballers Read. We have a very special guest, the one and only, the Renaissance man from Franklin, Louisiana, the bodybuilder, the author, the psychologist, the trainer, the just all around great guy, a baller in yeah, every man. way. Sean P. Jonathan Polador, welcome to this show. Well, How are man. you? I'm over here just flattered, shaking my head, like talking about this introduction. I've heard you guys show so many times driving back and forth to work. So to hear the introduction is about me. It's like, give me the shakes, man. It's crazy. I really love you guys. So I'm a fan of the show. You've had some powerful names on the show, man. So for me to be amongst the the library now and the archives, it's a blessing, man. Yeah, for wow. real. For real. Thank you so much, Sean what i'm saying the first question we love to ask and i know you have a beautiful story is who brought you to books what brought you to reading and um feel free to break down just as much as you want who who put the book in your hands that's um kind of a conversation we were having with our last guest claude johnson he's the author of this book called the black fives and it's mm. not a matter of what the book was but you know who put the book in your hands yeah so um I love telling this story because so many people see me doing podcasts and writing books and doing public speaking, but they always imagine I was always this scholar and I did so good in school and academics. Like that's not, that's not my story at all, man. Um, I was a kind of a typical young black male of the eighties and the nineties with hoop dreams and things of that nature. I didn't really care about academics. Sadly to say that. I didn't really care about homework and studying, and I definitely annotated a whole lot more now uh, than I ever did when I was in school, man. So to fast forward the story, after high school, I went to the United States Navy, and I was probably 18, 19 years old, man. And I try to always describe it like a Navy vessel in the year 2000, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no streaming, there's no smartphone devices. Like when you out there thousands of miles, man, for weeks at a time, all you had is the CDs you brought. I said the word CD. So whatever CDs you brought on the trip and whatever DVDs you brought, like that was it. Once you watched everything multiple times, I, I saw life so many times, bro, back then. I saw life. Like I know it word for word, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there bored one day and the OG was like, man, you look bored, man. Why don't you come and check this book out? And it was a book, I'll never forget it. It was called The Maintenance Man. It's a, a fictional book, right? One of those urban fiction kind of books. And when I turned the last page of the book, I'll never forget how I felt so elated. And I felt so proud of myself for finishing a book on my own. And I just wanted to tell everybody, I was just so excited and proud about it. And we, we was way out to see whenever this happened. So the OG kept feeding me books, right? Kept feeding me uh, Eric Jerome Dickey, Omar Tyree, like some of the who's who of that time in black literature. And so then we finally came back to the States and I was able to go to a bookstore on my own and get my own books, man. It just, first of all, to describe where I come from, there is no Barnes and Nobles where I live at. There's no Books a Million. Back then you had uh, Borders and you had Walden. I know I'm probably dating myself with these, <laughs> these no longer existing book places, but there, there was no big bookstores where I'm from. Mm. So to go to a bookstore and see millions of books 
it, it was just the most life ultimate thing that ever happened in my life uh, to date. And I, I owe that guy a lot, man. Every time a book come out that I publish, I make sure I inbox him and, th- and tell him thank you. Like without him, I'm not going to college. I'm not being a counselor. I'm not being in psychology. I'm not writing books. I'm probably not public speaking. Like my whole, everything I owe to that one man, bro. Hmm. Wow. Wow. What was about him that you like trusted and like wanted to like believe in, connect with, like yeah. learn from? Cause that that's, that's some of the emphasis of like the who like put the book in your hands. Right. Is that you do have like a relationship with him. So just like, yeah. Could you share more around, around like who, uh, who your OG was and like, you un- know, unfortunately, um, for those that know it or not, man, the United States military, I mean, like like most parts of our life, it's, it's a very racial space. Hmm. You don't have a lot of black people in high authority places. And unfortunately, the ones that are black in higher places, they tend to be worse than the white people in those places. Hmm. Wow. It's like getting pulled over by a state trooper and they get out of that car and you're like, oh man, it's a black, it's a black state trooper. Great, I'm, I'm good. It's actually the opposite. Like you're probably going to get a ticket. Yeah, because mm. I, I think in their subconscious mind, they they got to prove I'm not showing favoritism. So I'm I'm gonna ride you harder than the white guy. So whenever you see a black chief or officer or whatever higher up, it's not a good feeling in my mind. I'm thinking I'm like, oh man, it's about to be it's about to be bad. Mm. So that that particular black man, he was a good family man. He was a good uh, 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 husband and father, respectable guy in his day to day dealings, the way he moved. And that's what made me at least give him a chance to not just brush him off, blow him off. Like, it, it gave me some kind of inner discipline. Like, all right, if this man's saying it, it got to be something to it. I'm, I'm going to check it out. Because mm. it's his day-to-day character. You know, because so many guys on the ship, I'm 18, 19. I'm a kid. I'm more mature than a lot of grown men around me. As far as out in town, out and about, mm. these guys got families back at home and they, they're doing the most. I'm the kid trying to control them. I'm the one that's sober trying to drive home with 15 drunk guys and they fall in the street, they pissing in the street, they fighting females trying to break up fights. And and this guy's not like that. The guy right. I'm telling you about. So, you know, that, that was the major difference, his life. Wow. And so that first book was, was huge and a milestone book. What are some of the other books? You have one, uh, the Tyrese, the How to Get Out of Your Own, your own Way. How I got out of my own way. Bro. I think that was one. But what are some of the other milestone books? I mean, as far as milestone books, like you put it, I mean, of course, we got the Robert Greene book on deck today, the yeah. 50th law. But yeah. I would always advise any Robert Greene book because in my life, I've done a lot of different jobs in 41 years. I've had a lot of different, man, situations and backgrounds and jobs. And these books are the most applicable to actual life. Like they got some great books out there and they're cool. And, oh, yeah, that was a good book and it's a cool story. As far as actual things I can actually use, and I've seen done at work when it comes to how people operate, and it's a big old chess game of life, and people are always jockeying for position. And I tell my people all the time, either you playing a game of chess or you getting ticked off the board. Why? You, you can not play the game, and that's fine, but just realize people around you are playing the game. So the 33 strategies of war, the art of war, the 48 laws of power, it's funny how much people hate these books and they've never actually read these books. We'll get to that later. Yeah. We'll get to that part later. But 
these books are so applicable to life, bro. I, I can't believe mm-hmm. how much hate these books get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy. But yeah, so, so those books are milestone books for me. Uh, Tony Robbins, Unlimited Power. Mm. Uh, Eric Thomas, his books. Yeah. All those books I've actually used and had success in my personal life from these books. Wow. I literally just got unlimited power from the library. Bro, I've read Awaken the Giant, love uh, but love yeah, I can't wait. I got a tidbit for you. Mm-hmm. There's also, if you know it or not, there's unlimited power for black people. It's a black bird. Oh, really? Just like people don't realize there's thinking grow rich, Napoleon yep. Hill, and there's thinking grow rich for black people by uh, Dennis Kimbrough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they, they got an unlimited power for black people yeah. as well, bro. Wow. Yeah, wow. Right. Written by Tony Robbins or someone else? Uh, Tony Robbins and a, and a black guy partnered together on this. Right. Oh, that's yeah. tough. Okay. Yeah. Tony they wasn't writing the black. black <laughs> yeah, I was like, Tony Robbins? <laughs> oh, the black version yeah. too? No, that's, that's what's so cool about Robert Greene, his authorship too, because just as you're saying, it's so applicable to all parts of life. When he was starting out in his own core, career he was having so much trouble with jobs he was going from job to job getting fired um Mm -hmm. and just like had a hard time figuring out what to do and he really wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on and so he goes on this quest to understand you know the deeper levels of how humans interact and i think it's so funny because just as you're saying, yeah, the the titles of the books alone rub folks the wrong way, but you get even 10 pages in and it's a totally different story. And, you know, I think, I think part of it too is, um, at least where, where I've seen the, the fights or the arguments come in is like, they, they will, people will assume that these are the only books that men read, but it's like, I don't know. There, there's so much joy still to be had in non-fiction books and I wanna, green books. I, I want to add something because I've had this for like 15 year debate about these books, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been that long. I've been getting in with these books, right? right. So, so to me, these books are like any other tool in the world, right? I can have a screwdriver. I can fix my house. I can fix my vehicle. I can do beautiful things with a screwdriver. Could I also kill somebody with a screwdriver? You're goddamn right. It's in the wielder, right? Like, all the people that fight for gun rights, the main thing they say is that guns don't kill people. People kill people. That's, that's their argument, right? Right. So the same thing with these books. If a person has malicious intent, yes, of course. I can take the damn cat in the hat if I have some malicious intent in the cat in the hat. That's my, my perspective. But if I want to use it <laughs> better myself to be a better husband, better man, better son, if I want to do something positive with it, I can find something positive in anything I'm reading. It's mm. your perspective. It's right. on your lens. So if you find these horrible things in the four-day laws of power, I got to ask you, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that on y'all platform. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I love it. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, the, the other the other dynamic about uh, Robert Greene's books. This claim, but these are not the real Ballers Reading podcast. Is that, uh, I mean, so, so, many of them are, <laughs> so many of them are banned in prisons, you know? And it's yeah. like, what, is, what does that mean, too, right? Where, where you're getting banned. Uh, just in that same way that so many, like, you know, because talking about banned books, bring more awareness around it and advocacy towards just how, like, wrong that is. But they're some of the first books to to get banned just, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, 
to go in that same category of of, of mind life altering books, uh, Malcolm mm. X. Yeah. For a lot of black men, you ask them what book changed their life, they're probably going to say that in their top five, man. And that's another book that's kind of sort of banned in some jails, man. Like anything yeah, that's going to sure. empower you and embolden you, we can't have that. <laughs> Yo. We can't have that. Dang. Oh. You mm. want to stand up for yourself? You want to you stand your ground? You want to stand on your square? You want to have some kind of umph about yourself? We can't have that. Mm. Mm. And so to, to preface 50th law too, like, you know, you were coming up in the golden era of hip hop. And so when 50 was coming up, what did you think? What was going on, man? Like you tell so many I, of the stories in the I book. I absolutely loved it. I yeah. loved it. You're right. I did come up in the golden age of hip hop, man. Yeah. And when this, see, we got to put timestamps on everything. I'm doing that lately because I'm realizing my age. <laughs> and the young folks are hearing these podcasts, right? This is like whenever music is very regionalized. It wasn't like a worldwide thing. I'm in Louisiana for the most part. I'm hearing straight cash money, no limit, heavy. And at that time, these guys drop a CD every every other week, literally. Oh. Because back then, see, this this I feel like a caveman right now. Back then, <laughs> music only came out on Tuesdays. Oh, what? I've never see? heard that. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, Wow, really? Never heard that before. I feel very old right now. So, okay, so imagine. This is actually a good conversation. So yeah. Nas dropped Illmatic. You got at least seven days of just playing Illmatic all day and all night. Going to the car wash, going to the barbershop, going to the mall, going to the club, going to IHOP 2 in the morning. It's straight Illmatic until the next Tuesday. And then Jay-Z going to drop or whoever, right? Interesting. But now, I mean... Kendrick might drop tonight at midnight, and then Kanye drop tomorrow at two o'clock, and then the game drop Monday at three. So I, I have no time for it to breathe. I'm just I'm playing like five or six tracks. That, oh, the Kanye came out. Oh, put this to the side. But back then, <laughs> I'm playing Illmatic repeatedly. I'm playing these tracks like twenty something times before the next Tuesday. Mm. So even the ones that I thought I didn't like after the fifth listen, it's like you know what, man, number nine pretty good. It had time to really saturate your soul at the time. But anyway, um, it was very regionalized to where I'm only hearing certain music being in Louisiana in that South Pocket. I go to the military. I'm in California now. And all of my homeboys from the Midwest, in the East Coast, in other parts of the country. So now we're putting our CD cases together. And now I'm hearing all this East Coast heavy stuff. I'm hearing the Midwest stuff. I'm hearing everything. So whenever 56 came around, I'm in the military, and this guy comes on the scene like a hailstorm, just shooting shots at everybody. He's just going for broke. And it's just like, it took everything by storm, bro. Like, you hear 50 Cent all the time, everywhere you go, in the barbershop, in the club, mm. driving down the highway. They playing 50 Cent. I'm in California. He's a New York guy. That's the litmus test. When I'm having these hip hop debates on the top 50 list, I'm like, bro, I never heard, I never heard anybody playing that in the car when I'm when I'm chilling. I ain't never heard anybody at the barbershop playing that. He's a good rapper, but I ain't here to know it. Right. That's my litmus test. Or one of my litmus tests on mm -hmm. hip hop. Mm -hmm. But 50 Cent was everywhere, bro. The club bangers, the girl songs, the hood songs, the going to the gym, you need some adrenaline <laughs> songs. Like yeah, every, yeah. every pocket he covered. 
And then the mixtape run was just like, bro, the G, you in the mixtape run? Really? Go find that. Yeah, I actually yeah, haven't heard it. I was going to say, I've not heard it at all. You haven't heard it? No, uh, definitely not. Tell my head around. You haven't heard it? <laughs> you take your time and you YouTube or Spotify, the G, you in the mixtape joints, man. It's... Wow. Because like they was doing like a Lil Wayne squad up situation where you jacking some of the most popular beats of that time. Oh, yeah. We gonna rap over it. Lloyd Banks going crazy. Really? Lloyd Banks? What? Wow. You gotta put some respect. <laughs> you gotta watch yourself, young man. Nah, it, it, was, it was a good time in hip hop. <laughs> it was a good time in hip hop. Wow. So I'm old enough to see these guys transition Mm -hmm. business-wise, and then the movies, and mm -hmm. then the books, mm -hmm. and then uh, it's to a point now to where, like, my kids, my son's in their 20s, by the way, so my kids don't really associate 50 Cent with that. They see 50 Cent. Like, he a businessman, he's a mogul, mm -hmm. suit and tie. We, we had the actual, they called the tank top G-units. The, the G-unit tank tops. They literally called it a G-unit. It wasn't a wife beater. They had the G-unit. With the with, <laughs> with, with, with the tattoos and the bullet wounds and the and the do rag and the, that was the energy. My my sons don't see business center like that. And they, they don't see Shaq how I see Shaq. Mm -hmm. They don't see Charles Ball how I see Charles Ball. Like it's just this incredible <laughs> age gap, man. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy for me to be alive in it, you know, like <laughs> Right, right. So when was the first time you read Fifth Law? Man, whenever it dropped, whatever the whatever the pub date is, right. I was because at that point, I, I already was, had read the um. This is two thousand and nine. Already yeah, had read the um the four day laws of power by mm -hmm. then. So when the fifth day law dropped, I went and got it immediately. And whenever Robert Green drops from, from then on out, I go and get it that day. I don't buy many books on the day of, but whenever mm -hmm. he dropped, I'm going to take that thirty minute drive. I'm going to get it. I want I want it tonight. Right. I gotta have it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I've I've read this book like like six times thanks to you guys. I want to thank y'all for saying yes to this book mm. because it made me revisit it. I haven't read it in so long. Oh, yeah. but as you can tell, I, I have so many for those that I have so many annotation uh, notes in my in my book. Right. And these are not old these are brand new insights that I got reading it again this time wow. uh, for this show. Honestly, in some ways, I find it to be more readable than 48 Laws. I mean, because just the, the yeah, way 48 Laws yeah. Yeah, is, is broken up, it's almost like a reference book, you know? Like, to yeah. read all 48 straight through is kind of OD. But like, but, like, this one, especially because it's just uh, through 50 story personally, even though he adds in the all the other folks, it feels more plot-driven, you know? It is. So, it is. so from this time reading it, this most recent time, like what of you know, fifty story in his resilience over 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 time really resonated with with you most? Well, when I first read these books, uh, I wasn't even thinking about being the author myself or being a podcast host. None of that. I was only a consumer, but mm. now that I'm a producer of product, um. It's like the, the ability to be your own, to mm -hmm. want to be unique, to embrace your weirdness and your strangeness. Like, those are your powers. Mm -hmm. Like, lean into that. Don't try to duplicate what anybody else is doing. That's a weakness. Also, the one he got about uh, conquering boredom. 
mm-hmm. your ability to sit still. Right. That particular kind of principle, like, we have so many distractions now, even versus 09, versus that, it's so many distractions now. It's all this social media everywhere and all the streaming. You name all of this stuff, man. It's like, bro, it, it, it's so much going on now. So the ability to focus and buckle down, have discipline, those kind of principles stand out in my mind way more than it did in 09. Do, mm-hmm. Doing what I'm doing now in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How would you say, like, being a father through that time period as well, like, you know, maybe when you were first reading the book or, like, even now, how the story, like, 50 Cent story and, like, all the lessons there also did kind of shape, like, how you are as a parent? Well, I, I guess... Being a parent, like, I, I read these books before I got married, right? Before I had a family, I read these books way back then. So now, bringing that into my parent ability, uh, it's trying to ingrain that in my kids from early, like, the, the discipline and being unique and, and standing out in the time where everybody's trying to fit in so hard. These days, it's way harder than my childhood, bro, as far as the want. To look like somebody else, sound like somebody else, be like somebody else, to make them, it's okay to stand out. It's okay to be different. It's okay to get criticized. It's okay to get the ridicule. Like, even welcome and embrace that, right? But just the tenacity, because so many times being the parent, man, <laughs> me being on the job now and the things I have to endure, thinking about my family versus whenever it was just the, the single independent showing people, like, I'd have been going a long time ago. A lot of situations, but I gotta consider these other people depending on me for the next meal or the next bill or whatever it is. So the tenacity you need, and once again, back to operating these jobs, what I was saying in the beginning, having to navigate these workspaces is even more crucial now than ever. Hmm. In today's economy, in today's job market, your ability to navigate these jobs is more important than ever. And so many people are oblivious, bro. I have so many convos with my peers every day about their job and what they're complaining about. I'm thinking to myself the whole time, like, this is the art of war. You don't even see it. You don't even see it coming. <laughs> they, they, they plotting on you. They scheming on you. You falling for the traps. Mm. You better wake up. <laughs> y'all, y'all watching Power like it's a TV show, like, for fun. Like, they, they got so many 48 laws of power in the, the show Power. Wow, yeah. So many of these things are in uh, Power Book 2 with Tyreek, uh, Raising Canaan. Like, all these principles are in these TV shows. We think it's just a fun show. Oh, it's pretty cool, Raising Canaan. Like, bro, we're not watching what's going on. Mm -hmm. I feel like just that ability to, like, assess a situation clearly from almost a a removed point of view is like my big learning from this book, the intense realism aspect, seeing reality for, for what it is. Um, because I think right in the day-to-day of our jobs and the day-to-day of anything that we're trying to do, we kind of can lose sight of the big picture, but like to have the chess mind, even for a brief amount of time to just be sit, to sit still, and think is really what's going to accelerate your goals or what whatever you're trying to do more more than anything else. Uh, you have to be able to plan. Yeah, 
Yeah. I want I wanted to add like the ability to remove your emotions from a situation, right? Like even whenever I get bested, right? We all get bested sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um I've lost numerous jobs in my job career. And of course it always sucks. It's an incredible <laughs> uh blindsided blow. And I tell myself immediately, that's the game. Yeah. When you lose a, when you lose a chess match, you don't, you don't punch the guy. You shake hands. It's a gentleman's sport. Let's play again. Let's go again. Yeah. If, if, if I just wallow in the emotions of, man, I just lost my job and get depressed and get anxiety and have a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in darkness for the next three or four weeks. I'm not job hunting. I'm not going for the next interview. I'm not making the next phone call to my homies that got job. I mean, y'all hiring over there? I'm not being proactive and aggressive that he talked about. I'm not doing that if I'm wallowing in, I just lost the chess match. You got me. Mm. You got me off the board. You check me, checkmate. Good game. Mm. And I tell myself that's the game. It's not personal. It's not about showing. Mm. And in, in this generation, we are so sensitive to every little thing. It's so white glove for everything. <laughs> take everything super personal. Like it's it's a very egotistical to think somebody's sitting in some closed room with the door closed and they're yep. plotting on you. Are you that important? <laughs> You're not that important. I don't care who you are. You're not that important. Mm-hmm. You're not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. It's the game. You were a piece in the way, in some kind of way. Checkmate. Fine of the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like one of the uh, other big takeaways take, take for, for me is like how you can not avoid all BS because you know we we deal with hu- humans and human nature there's always going to be some level of BS but a way to kind of transcend some of the average difficulties that most folks deal with is through ma- ma- mastery and through really investing in yourself more than anything and that's one of the big uh, kind of overlaps that I saw with your book too what's your kick um, which I found awesome incredible the the guide to discovering to unlocking your passion so i'm quoting books and spitting books man i'm exactly. just flat i'm just smitten. <laughs> smitten so i love for uh you I appreciate to that, man. introduce uh that book as well and, and where you you see your connection uh with you know 50th law yeah so, so the, the what's your kick the guy to unlocking your passion i've done that seven, seven years right i've done seven yeah. years of that um, when I went into writing What's Your Kick, my mindset was out of all the books that I loved thus far in that, that part of my life, what's the favorite elements out of this book, yeah. out of that book, out of this book? So the What's Your Kick book is like a gumbo. Mm. I love books that have interactive questions inside the book. So that's why at the end of almost every chapter, I have questions in there. It's made to be active, like a workbook a homeschooling material, after-school program, like it's made to be actual thing you use for a guy. It's not just like, oh, man, that's pretty cool with Sean say on page 47, put it down. Like, no, go and do something, right? Um, the way Robert Greene weaves actual stories to the principles. So I use my own life for the story part of it and showing every principle in the book. I'm showing you a glimpse of my actual life in the biographical kind of way when I use this particular point, this principle in my life, right? 
So, so it's like a lot of borrowing from different principles and aspects of different books all put together in, in one publication. The back of the book, the recommended reading list. I love whenever books have a recommended reading list. Yep. Like, I love this book so much. Where could I find something else like this? That recommended reading list, it sends me on a, on a rabbit hole, man. So all those aspects in that book came together in that first publication, man. I'm, I'm very, very proud of that book. Yeah, no, it's got like 55 five-star reviews on Amazon too, too man. bro. Like, did, folks man. really love it. Like it's... I'm about to unplug my mic, man. This dude did his work, man. <laughs> That's right. But, well, if right. you saw it or not in your homework, a podcast I did last Saturday, mm-hmm. I was telling the sister how I started the show on P Experience because as an artist, I was trying to get on platforms like this, and people mm. were telling me no, like left and right. Tell right. Or like not answering me at all. Like just leave me on red. Just don't say nothing. So I, I wanted my show to give authors a platform to show their work. And whenever I would get a yes, I can tell the person never read my work. You don't know me. And you're asking me these general questions. So on my show, I pride myself in my journalism ability. I pride myself on my questions. I pride myself on my homework. I love another author says to me, man, I've never heard that before. Oh, I right. love that question. I never yeah. had that question. Or whenever they say, man, how'd you find that? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do my deep dive, right? And mm-hmm. most of these authors, as you guys on your platform, uh, these authors have been on TV and they've been on Good Morning America. They've been in all these places. I didn't go to journalism school. I'm not a trained journalist. Yeah. I'm self-taught. So whenever I get a response like that out of them, I know I'm on the right track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm on the right track. And you're doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. What is the power of being self-taught to you? You know, and like, what are some other cases of uh, you like wanting to go for something and not getting in your own way or not putting something else in your way to like actually like learning and getting good well, at it? It's been a great show so far. I was saying, as, as the person doing it, real, I can't wait to play it back as, as a consumer. But <laughs> That's right. Real good questions, man. But I want to go on that talking about the autodidact, right? I love words. Mm. Autodidact. Self-taught. So I do have a master's degree in psychology. I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. You know, I got, I got the, 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 the bells and whistles, right? But most of what I literally use on the job has nothing to do with what I was taught in school. That's my own self-study, my own self-journey, right? Um, things I've done when I'm public speaking at a university or a jail, there's nothing to do with the university. Things that I really use in my everyday life to write these books has nothing to do with the university. What I've done in private at two in the morning, three in the morning, by myself, that has been the most fruitful part back to being applicable to my life has been that self-study, man. And, and keeping, I'm always hoping on mentorship. In all of my books, you're going to find something about mentorship and coaching. Keeping those OGs in my life to give me assessments over and over again, assessing me, critiquing me. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a good one for today's generation. The ability to take hard critique. I've been debating about three years on Bookstagram. This is a whole different topic about reviewing books. Yeah. And people have real dicey opinions about, ah, oh, I don't want to give an honest review about this book and I don't want to give it two stars and one star. Like, bro, they can't all be five star books. That whole bookshelf behind you, they're not all five star behind you, bro. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But nobody want to literally say it. 
I don't mean saying it disrespectfully or bashing or nothing. Not personal. Once again, not personal. I'm talking about the literal art. And something wasn't right. Something was missing. Mm. I should be able to say that without getting all kind of ridicule and backlash. Because guess what? I'm an artist. If you go on Amazon right now and put a crazy long paragraph how much you didn't like my books, I got to eat that. Mm. I got to say that. So why are these artists behind you? Why, why are they exempt from what I got to go through? Mm. That's not fair as an artist. Right? And I, I seek criticism. I, I seek critique. I've had people have two-hour phone calls with me about something they didn't like in my book. And I wow. grew up in those phone calls. Yeah. I, I've actually met people in person that didn't like something in my book. And they, they live close. Go to a coffee shop. And we spend two hours going back and forth about what they didn't like. And like a chess match, we got up, we shook hands, I bought their coffee, and it was good. Wow. Yeah. And we did business after that together, me and that person. Oh, look at that. But see, I have an athletic background, and I have an acting background. Yeah. So in both of those worlds, I've been publicly critiqued since like four or five years old. Every rehearsal was a critique. Sean, don't say it like that. Sean, don't move like that. Sean, instead of standing up, sit down. Sean, on this particular line, do it like this. I'm getting critiqued all the time to get better as a performer. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I want to get critiqued in this genre as an artist or a podcast host? I got certain hidden people. They watch all of my podcast interviews, and they tell me what they thought about it. Mm -hmm. And I seek them for that. I literally inbox them at how the show works. And they nitpick me until they find something. And now I get better as an artist, right? Mm -hmm. So all those things come with the whole self, the being self-taught thing. Mm -hmm. You can read a thousand books by yourself. Until you put a litmus test to it, or in, in the fighting sports, until you go and spar with this thing, you can't make sure it actually works. You can go on YouTube and find all the drills you want. Do the little drills by yourself. When you finally go and spar, we're going to find out if this thing works or not. The real litmus test is getting hit in the face. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> and not many people in this generation get off the laptop and off the cell phone and go actually try what you're saying. Yeah. Try what you're saying. Go try it. So my conviction in my talking in my books and on my platform is because I actually did it. Mm. If I didn't do it, I don't talk about it. I get invited for plenty of panels about different topics. I'm like, man, that's not my topic. I appreciate you, but that's not my lane right there. Because I can't fully speak on that right here. Hmm. I can make something up. I can make some fluff and look good for the ground, but the, the conviction won't be there. Hmm. I can tell you the jobs I lost. I can tell you the failures I've had. I can tell you what didn't work. I can tell you what I've lost. I can tell you my pain. I can tell you all of that. That's hmm. where the conviction comes from. Hmm. Yeah, I would... I would love to hear more, you know, and thinking about going out and trying things and talking about the things that you've seen, you know, growing up in Louisiana and then having now traveled in 23 countries and coming back to Louisiana, you know, it's like, how did Louisiana change when you came back? What was all the travel like being from Louisiana? Mm. I'm just, I'm mm. very curious about, about, about that. Um, Y'all can't see me in a podcast that this dude journalism is smoking today. 
This man keeps like 50 points right now. This man, this man going crazy right now. Um, bro, after being gone for like four years, what sounds real short, saying it now, being gone four years and coming back home, after traveling the world, after being around those guys from different parts of the country with different mindsets, right? Coming back home was like being an alien, being dropped off in a strange land. Because mm. the people that was there when I left, that never left, it's like time did this speed up thing, like Doctor Strange, but they never moved. So things that I now want to talk about, and I got this problem to this day, things that I want to talk about, they don't want to talk about or they don't know about. I don't like having frivolous conversation, bro. I don't like having small talk about bullcrap. I want to discuss real things about life or whatever, books, whatever, right? Um, and these people just, you know, small cities breathe small minds. They say, man, I really, really witnessed that. Like, the mindset is just not progressive. It's not, I call it being in the information desert. How do you got food deserts? I live in the information desert, bro. So the past 20 years or so, most of my best, best friends are all over the country. Like, I don't have many people I rock with here in person uh, where I live at because it's not, it's not really feeding me emotionally or intellectually uh, where I am. It's kind of far and in between to find somebody to really um, play chess with, mm-hmm. even literally. I haven't played chess in a long time. I don't have anybody <laughs> to play. So I, I don't want to play in, in, in mad years, man. They ain't really on that. Right. It was a culture shock, man. Why did you decide to? Why did you decide to keep staying there? Well, just, just, just. I think when I finally did get a family, and you know, those kids they go to school with their classmates, their whole life. They want to graduate with their people, with their friends. And, you know, uh, we started a business here. My wife has a business here, so she, she got her roots in the ground with her business, man. So things started just, you know, life being life, as they say, things started happening and, and progressing. Before you know it. That time go by, like man, it been it been nine years, whatever whatever the number is, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I definitely look forward to uh, traveling again pretty soon and uh, shaking up the roots and, and getting somewhere else. My kids are graduating, my boys are out of school now, there in Texas, and my daughter got one more year in high school left. So uh, the wheels are turning about about what's next, where's next, you know, that's right. that's really coming to my mind. Right. Mm. Wow. Wow. I miss traveling, bro. I, man, I was traveling like five or six times a year, flying all over the country because I, I've I've gained friends all over the country, right? So I just need one plane ticket. I'm coming to fly over here, and when I get there, I'm good. I don't need nothing else. For the whole week, I'm, I'm rolling with you. I don't need to get an Uber or nothing like that. I'm staying with you. I don't need to get an Airbnb or a hotel. Whatever we're doing, hmm. I'm with you and your family. And all of their families embrace me like family. So they, they, they're cooking for me. They're looking out for me. Like, I don't need nothing when I get there, bro. Like, I was doing that. <laughs> I was doing that five or six times a year all over, man. So, wow. you know, uh, I say the ultimate education is traveling. I tell people that all the time. It's part of my third book, Expanding Your Vision. Hmm. Uh, the ultimate education is traveling, bro. Seeing different places, waking up somewhere different, being in literal different air. You can literally feel it on a molecular level. But then my plane land in Louisiana and they say, boom, you have now arrived in New Orleans, Louisiana. The current time is, I feel like, oh, man, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever they open that door and that humidity hit you, it's like, bro, I was in Milwaukee riding a bike <laughs> in 80 degree weather without sweating. I'm riding the bike, no sweating. I get back to Louisiana. I'm standing, I'm, I'm standing still in Louisiana and I'm drenched in sweat. My shirt stayed to my back. Like, uh. I'm back. 
Heat is different, though. <laughs> what do you love about Louisiana? I would say about my family, bro. My, my family being here, having strong roots here. So I think, you know, reading these Jasmine Ward books lately really changed my mind a whole lot, man. She's a dope oh. artist, man. Jasmine Ward, I just finished reading uh, Sing Unbury Sing, my book club, like last week, man. And it made me think about my grandparents a lot. And think about my parents a lot. And think about grief and how you deal with grief and coping with death in different ways, right? So to Louisiana, I mean, my grandmother is buried here, right? Uh, my grandfather has long-time roots here. My grandfather, thank God, he's still here, 85 years old, man. And wow. It really, really anchors me back to the question of why I never, this quote-unquote, just left. Like, I want to spend as much time with my grandfather as possible. I try to break my neck on my days off to go drive down there, spend time with him, be with him, uh, soak up his knowledge as much as I can to be a storyteller and get all of his tales to make a book out of his life and my family's history and things like that, man. So when I think about Louisiana, I think about my family more than anything. Mm. Wow. Yeah, my family's very prominent where I'm from. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. What has been uh, your favorite book that you've read in 2023? Man, I want to say we got months left. I don't want right. to call it too early, but that Jasmine Ward book really, really just did something to me. And this is good. We, we three guys talking like mm. as a guy, not many books make me feel emotional or nothing like that. Not many movies and shows make me feel emotional or nothing, but that book really hit me a certain kind of way emotionally. And look at this. So my habit is, my mom and I have a strong book relationship. Mm. Our love language is books. So I read these books, and then when I go home, I bring them to my mom. The guests I've ever had on my show, when I finish doing the show, I bring my book to my mom. That Jasmine Ward book is so emotional. It's like I don't want to trigger my mom. Oh, snap. Because my main source of connecting with grief is my grandmother, which is her mom. Yeah. So if, if I feel these raw emotions about death, I don't want to stir that up inside my mama like that. I don't, I don't want to do that to my mom, man. So it's like, wow. I told myself mid-book, I'm not giving her this book. Because it, it was that emotional for me when it comes to grief and just everything. I don't, I don't want to give the book away, but just everything leading up to the backside of the book, man, was just totally disturbing to me when it comes to death. Mm. Wow. Hey. That's yeah, one, that's one I, of my hardest parts of my life is is, is grief and coping with grief, dealing with grief. as, as a big part of my a, a pivotal point of my life story is my grandmother's death. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess they got the five stages of grief, right? But there's a sixth stage, I mean, to me, in my opinion, it's like the pre, pre-grief. Before it even happens, you kind of start Seeing what things going to fading things, man. So uh dealing with that currently in my life is is it's been a big part of my twenty three years is just seeing where certain things are going and uh trying to prepare for it the best you can, which is impossible, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I see what you mean. The the anticipation, the suspense, the like you yeah. know, you feel it coming, you feel it getting bigger too. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like getting married or, or, or having a child, right? Like, your OGs can tell you, like, man, it's going to be like this. It's going to be like this. Prepare for this. But, like, until you add the altar getting married, you don't know. 
some things you got to go through. I can't coach you through this. You got to go through this. You, you, you got to walk this mm-hmm. by yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to walk it. So, so grief to me was was like that. When that when that time finally came, mm. and, and the phone call came, that dreaded phone call. Mm. The, mo- the most lonely thing ever, man. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear, yeah. the, hear that. And yeah, um, I don't want to mess y'all so up. We just, we just no, no. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to mess the mood yeah, up. Yeah, no, we got there. Yeah, uh, D, Brian, like. You know, we were really talking about though, for us, us guys is important, man. It is, it is. We were literally talking about this earlier, though, how just like the blinders that we can put on as men for yes. uh, certain things that are acceptable or not, you know, can really just yeah. make us stiff and make us unable to live properly. And Ooh. there's no other way to, to put it. It's just like when you're not expressing everything, when you're like caging up. Like, let's say even half of everything that you really think and feel that's really no way to live like, that's like it nah. shows a real lack of trust um with like who you are and or who you think that you are and um so you just you know being able to express that to us uh means a lot so. yeah for real yeah for real. i appreciate that man well, yeah. well to go back to books right what i just said uh, the last chapter in the 50th law is about the sublime and embracing the sublime. Like, mm. he mentions in there, like, back to our generation, we are so removed from grief than our ancestors. Back in the old days, man, like, people actually died and they had the wake and everything at the house. Mm. Like, the body's in the house. It's not going to a funeral home and it's somewhere else. Yeah. You really, like, waking up and going to sleep for the next four or five days the body in the house. It was that close to us, right? Or, mm. you know, before that, they had the open open graves. It's open part of the city where it's just graves. Open mass graves, right? Like, it was so close to them to death. Even making your food. Back to Jasmine War, the beginning of the book. And they showed the grandfather killing the goat. And they're describing the whole process of cleaning the animal and all that. We removed from all that now. We go to Walmart, wherever, get some chicken. <laughs> it's been done, right? So... <laughs> To embrace death, though, and they said in the book, like, whenever you get past the fear of death, you're kind of unstoppable. If I'm not scared of that no more, that's the ultimate thing to be scared of. The minute I leave myself of the, the fear of death, what you going to do to me? Right? It's, it's, it's the power and the force once you embrace and lean into, mm. into that, man. So it's just, it's just trying to get there. Mm-hmm. Trying to get there. Oh, yeah. And what is yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I, I was just saying, 50 Cent literally getting shot that many times. And I, my, my, one of my, I'm not messing y'all podcasts up, I swear. No, no. One of my best friends in this world, mm. very healthy, in shape, fit guy, all of a sudden, two weeks ago, go to a doctor for a small checkup kind of thing. He got a brain tumor, bro. What? Oh, man. Like some of the most, I want to say, health minded people I know in my life all of a sudden got cancer, stage three, stage four cancer. You all of a sudden really having a life and death crisis. And I've been blessed so far, knock on some wood. I never had a life and death moment like that. Mm-hmm. But I know after you face that head on, you're way different after that. Mm-hmm. And the people I know personally that face that, they way different after that. Mm-hmm. And most of us are so far removed from that. 
we're so removed from, you know, besides TV and video games and movies, it's not really like right there. Right. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pac is someone else that comes to home mind, you yeah. know. Biggie, uh, Pac, who, all these yeah. guys, man, you know. Yeah. No, but right. Pac was shot at before he even was, you know, killed. Yeah. When, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. his fearlessness. So, yeah, I want to ask you about um, your love of African history and where that started. And have you been to Africa or? <clears throat> I have not been to the motherland yet, wow. but it is definitely high priority yes. on the bucket list. I got to mm. touch that soil one time. Mm. Uh, I've read about it so much. So many mm. documentaries. Uh, the past few years, I've actually acquired African friends and whatnot, you know, like mm. that far, right? Um. So back to Malcolm X. It's always a circle, these conversations. Back to Malcolm X. When I started reading Malcolm X, when I first started getting into nonfiction, I would say, and then my mentor, my 15-year, uh, uh, the sensei, the grandmaster, my 15-year mentor, mentor, he was mentoring me for years prior to that moment. But the night he saw me carrying the Malcolm X book, he was like, oh, you on that? And like ever since that night, he was just pouring into me, bro. I mean, like three and four hours at a time, mm. me at his house on the porch, getting that mouth to ear learning, the old school. And at the time, I was so oblivious, it wasn't like a conversation. I didn't know nothing. I'm talking about like four-hour monologues. He's just giving me Nation of Islam, 5% Nation, Morris Science Temple, uh, just these different schools of thought. And they're giving me homework. So mm. back to self-study, before I went to college, me and this man doing this thing for years, rigorous, rigorous homework. Like until you read this, don't come back. Wow. Just the old school OGs. Yeah. Like until you know this, don't call my phone again. <laughs> don't call me back until you got this down. And then whenever I talk to you, you drill me. That kind of sensei learning, right? So me going to college was like, that's it? That's, that's the assignment for the week is death? <laughs> you write a paper with three sources? Like, man, get out of here with that, bro. Like, I, I've done way worse in my private time. <laughs> college was nothing by the time I went to college after this man was doing what he was doing. So wow. to answer your question, that's how I started reading books about Africa, reading books about our history in this country before Columbus, reading about our presence all over the world before colonization. Mm. Not just Africa, the whole world. One of my favorite books in my life is called When the World Was Black, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Mm. I got a special rare edition with both volumes in one book. It's like damn near 800 pages, and they got a bunch of sources in there at the back of the book. Bunch of citations, right? Like probably 400 cited things per book. Mm. And totally changed your mindset. Because see, this is after the military. So... I think back and I'll get so mad. Like, bro, when I was in Thailand, I wasn't looking for myself in Thailand. When I was in Australia and Singapore and Guatemala and Bali and Mali and all these places, Hawaii, I wasn't looking for my African presence in those places because hmm. I was brainwashed. But when I see actual pictures and documentation, like, look at all these black people in Brazil. Look at all these black people in this place. Hmm. I regret not looking for myself in those places at that time, but that's how life 
man, unfortunately. You get the test first and the answers later. Mm. No, now, I've I never heard those, of this I, I, I want to go back to those places again right. as a civilian and look for some of these uh, marquee places and, and these people, man. Yeah. Like us. <laughs> right. No, I haven't even heard of this book. Yeah, they're um, Yeah, Dr. Supreme Understanding is the author. Yeah. I would strongly advise all of his books. Wow. All of his books. All of them. Uh, Black God, yeah. The Science of Self, The Knowledge of Self, uh, Hood Health, Volume 1, Volume 2, How to Hustle and Win, Volume 1, Volume 2. Like, I literally over the years have bought these books and gave them to after-school programs. I donated like 15, 20 books to uh, the local jail. And I went there, gave a presentation to the inmates in the jail. Like, I really advocate his publication seriously, bro. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. And he had the impact on, on Wish So Kick once again. Because he is a PhD, his Dr. Supreme Understanding, but the written in a very digestible, easy-to-get way. Because mm. whenever I'm writing, I want, that, I want that ultimate, the penetration of the content. I don't want to impress you with my vocabulary and my degrees and all that. I don't care about all of that. I want to impact people, and I know most of my audience are not on Bookstagram. Most of my audience are not avid readers. Most of my audience, this is their first book. I love getting that inbox. They say, man, Sean, this is the first book I read in my life. What's your kid? I'm like, bro, out of the billions of books in the world, my book is your first book? The sensation I had at 18 with that book, that one book, yeah. I'm there for you? Like, that's that's crazy. Wow. Yeah, another... I'm writing, I'm writing to them. Yeah. yeah. I had a critique one time recently about my recent book that came out, uh, The Modern Day Griot. And... Mm. uh. They said, well, I thought, I, I thought there'd be more scholarly than that. I thought they'd have a lot more scholarship to it. And I was like, that's not, that's not what I write to. Mm. I'm not trying to impress PhDs or what. I'm not trying to impress. It's not a pissing content. <laughs> and so many books that we read that's yeah. written by PhDs, you can tell, oh, you weren't talking to me. You were talking to your homeboy. Yeah. You read them old, them old Du Bois books. And Carter G. Woodson book. I can name a bunch of old scholars. They got great books, but they wasn't talking to us. Mm. Mm -hmm. you, you, you're debating your homeboys via scholarship. Right. I, it's, like, it's like verses, right? <laughs> verses is new. Battle rocking. You got Marcus Garvey debating him via via a 400 page book, and yep. he'll do a 400 page rebuttal in this book and in that book. And y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all talking to each other, right? I want to talk to the people. And a lot of my population didn't go to college. They might not have graduated high school. They might be everyday manual labor, blue-collar people that's working. I'm talking to them, like Malcolm did. And that's in the book. Malcolm stayed in Harlem in the hood amongst the pimps, prostitutes, the hustlers, the gambling spots. Even though I'm Malcolm X now on an international level, I'm still in the hood. I'm not removed. That's how I feel. I'm still in the hood. Mm -hmm. I might not be New York Times bestseller, but I'm platinum in the hood. Yes, sir. Like Lil Wayne style, I'm neighborhood superstars, man. <laughs> I know, man. Real. Yeah, this has been such a gift, man. This is. Uh, oh man, I'm. Such I'm knowing that's gifted, bro. I had a real, real tough week this week. Really? And, uh, this is this 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 is the, the guiding light of my whole week. Was like, man, get the Saturday, bro. Get the Saturday. Wow, you know what I'm yeah. saying, yeah, same. Get the Saturday, bro. bro. For real. Bro. 
We'd love to uh love to hear you share more on some of your uh upcoming exciting projects that you got in the works. You got a lot of cooking, okay. Sean. So would love okay. to, you know, okay. use space to just like share everything you're excited about and what you got working, okay. you know. So I just mentioned our newest project, the Modern Day Griot, which yeah. is a collaboration with our Modern Day Griot podcast, which is once a week, once a month on YouTube. Uh, you just type in the Modern Day Griot, you'll find myself and the co-host, Kofi Pichet. Um, Right now, the next book is in the making, hopefully set for uh, mid-October. So what I did during the pandemic, I released four publications in the pandemic, right? So they're all eBooks. I'm taking all four of those books and combining them in the one paperback. But I have introductions, afterwords, uh, forewords written by Dr. Wade, uh, Kofi Pichet, my man Matt, and uh, even Reggie Reed's writing the afterword for me, and some other books the grammar's going to add in. And then I'll have a brand new author's note in there. So it's going to be a brand new publication. That should be like mid-October, man, hopefully. Mid-October, early November. Wow. And then uh, I have my man Miles here already. Uh, uh, I asked you guys already about the poetry. I love your poetry, bro. Oh, yeah. Mr. Jay, I love your poetry. I, I love what you're doing. So people don't know this. This is a show and pee fun fact. I write a lot of poetry unbeknownst to a lot of people. So I have over 250 notes in my Evernote app. Me just writing poetry, writing rhymes, writing short stories, whatever. And then my uh, my co-host Kofi said, man, I got binders and binders of things I wrote. I've never did anything with it. So I said, man, let's put it together in the manuscript and we're going to do a book of poetry together. Mm. I said, for the rollout, we should do an author's panel on YouTube and invite our poet friends to come and do like a, like a poetry, like an open, open mic kind of thing via YouTube. That was the original idea. Man, sound pretty good. I said, what if we had our friends to contribute a piece in the book. So that book should be coming there probably like late December, early January. That, that'll be the third book uh, coming. Nah. Nah, Pretty soon. You are pro, prolific. You guys about to say, Sean prolific. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, have, um, we have our writing classes coming up real soon, man. So we're going to have an actual the modern day griot book discussion. It's going to be an every Saturday discussion of the book. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a book club personally where the actual authors are there in the class. Yeah, no, that's never rare. seen that. Yeah, it's very rare. I see one kind of pop their head and thank y'all for coming, but like I've never seen them like actively in there every week, mm-hmm. answering questions in real time, elaborating on things in real time. I've never seen that, right? So that that's coming up real soon, and then we have writing classes coming up uh, like October, November. We'll do a class on the actual writing, and then the next class is gonna be once you've written something, how do you publish it? It's gonna be a class on the publishing process because we all self-published. And then the third class is going to be about marketing and promotion. Hmm. So it's like four classes coming up real soon. Wow. That you're all teaching. Yes. Come wow. on, man. Our class, wow. bro. That's our incredible. curriculum, our class. Do what we want. Say what we want. Yep. You can't, you can't ban this. Ain't, ain't, ain't no banning. <laughs> our curriculum. Um, yeah, man. I, I'm very, very proud of what we're doing, what we're building. You know, we got merch. We got everything, man. So it's, it's a whole conglomerate, bro. Yeah. No, we really, we really try and be on that same type of time. And um, oh, y'all doing? Oh, it, I man. just saw, I just saw Eric Thomas speak a few weeks ago. Uh, he was so powerful, man, in uh, person, man, and and oh, man. he was just saying like, the only things that you need 
you YouTube merch and books. Literally, like, wow. like if you, you already got it, bro. Three down. You already just, got it. It's what I'm saying. I just tell people all the time for the past seven years, bro. Yeah, I, I've acquired writing friends over the time, right? And I've acquired poet friends. Most people walk around with like hundreds of notes in their freaking laptop just sitting there. Mm. You just scared to pull the trigger. You got full of all rhymes and poems and short stories. You got your, uh, your iPad full of writing. You got composition books just stashed away like, bro, put it in a manuscript, at least make it a Kindle book for a couple of dollars. At least make it to something, bro, because you know what? Back to death. Whenever you finally die, unfortunately, the only person that care about your craft is you. And I'm being very singular. Only you. When you finally die, whenever that is, whatever's in your laptop will probably just stay there, bro. It might sound real grim to say that on the microphone. But the people in your life might not say, you know what? I'm going to tell you whoever writing and go and publish that phone. They ain't going to do that. All your books on that show, they're going to box the books up, bring it to somewhere and just go to Goodwill and just donate the books. You care about the books. They don't care about the books. That's reality, bro. So for all these people out there with content, you got to put it out before you leave, bro. You got music in your phone. You got music just sitting on your laptop, man. Put it out. I don't care if it's free. Just get it out of your head. Get it Get it out in the world. Mm-hmm. So in my circle, I'm not the best speaker, but I probably booked the most speeches. I'm not the best writer at all, but I probably have published the most writing. I just, I'm not scared to pull the trigger. I'm going to pull the trigger. Like 50, you know what I'm saying? Pull the trigger, bro. It's going to work. It's not going to work. I don't know. Man, what's your kick? I knew nothing about the writing process, nothing about publishing, nothing about the book cover process. I ain't know nothing. We just put on the trigger. Hmm. Put on the trigger. And now that book, you know, seven years later, it's still selling, thank God. And it's in a bunch of school libraries around Louisiana, other places. It's in prisons. It's in churches. It's an after-school programs. Not because I'm so great. I just wasn't scared to pull the trigger. Hmm. Like 50. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 50. You got to be applicable, bro. You got to be applicable. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things um, that I love you talking about was how applicable your uh, acting classes were. And, um, you know, I would love to, to hear just what. Oh my God. Non-actors can learn from acting. Oh my God. bro! So I just said this recently too. Mm -hmm. I got a master's degree from pre-K to master's the most applicable class I've had in my life was my acting classes in high school. The drama teacher that we had, I think back on it all the time. We were doing not no little kitty high school plays. We were doing very complex August Wilson type stuff in high school. We're doing fences. We're doing, you know, uh, uh, all this stuff, midnight, midsummer night dream. We're doing all this, uh, 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 the soldier story, Denzel Washington. We're doing all this stuff. I was Sergeant Waters, by the way. We were doing this stuff in high school. And 
the things we learned in that class every day doing those monologues and doing those scenes, being critiqued hard publicly in front of your peers. So now whenever I'm on a job interview, I'm not shook by your questions on a job interview. When I'm public speaking, I've been in this moment a million times when I'm doing a radio broadcast or a TV broadcast or this podcast right now. I've been well-versed in controlling my tone and my cadence and my rhythm and my flow and my breathing and my conscious exuding. Like, all those came from acting class, bro. I wasn't born like this at all. I was groomed into what you're seeing right now. So those acting classes gave me the, the poise and the confidence and, and the presence, feeling the moment. Because in stage acting, it's the same play every night for how many, how many nights it goes, right? But it's a different show every night. Any given show, you might drop something on the stage. It happens. I can't, I can't ignore you drop this coffee cup on the stage and just say my next line. I got to be able to respond in real time and mm -hmm. add a little bit to get back on track to the script. Mm -hmm. Or you could drop your line. And your line, my next cue line. I've practiced every night. Whenever you say this, I'm going to say this. And then you don't say it. What I'm going to do? So, in real life, in these podcasts, I've had the wonkiest things happen to me on my lives. People don't realize. People don't realize. I'm just acting my way through it. And then when the show <laughs> ends, my friends are like, dude, that was the best one. I said, bro, I couldn't hear what they were saying the whole time. They said, what? Uh, 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 uh. I literally had And it was the guest, her ear pods maybe. I don't know what it was, like technically, scientifically. I couldn't hear nothing she was saying, bro. But I didn't want to mess it up and keep on saying, huh? What? Say it again? Adjust your song? So I just made a choice in my head asking this question. So I don't know what she was saying. That's it wasn't like no rebuttals. It was like, well, okay, well, tell me about the next time. <laughs> I just rolled with it. And she didn't even know it. I was so pissed off that night. And then when I played it back, it was perfect. Wow. I just rolled. What? Bro, we did a podcast two weeks ago. I couldn't see the host. Mm. It was me and Kobe promoting our book on a nice platform. I love these people to death. For some reason, they could all see each other. I couldn't see the host. The whole hour and a half. I couldn't see them. But whenever you watch it, it looks like I'm looking at them. I can't see them. I'm just rolling with it. I'm just ad-libbing. I'm just in the moment, being present. That's all acting class, bro. I would have freaked out. Naturally. Mm. Yeah, bro, the arts, man. Yeah, life changing, yeah. arts. And that's so, my first time in my life feeling right. a good feeling outside of basketball, man. Like, like I said, I was a typical guy playing basketball. Mm -hmm. I only get this feeling shooting the jump shot or getting the block shot or getting the dunk or whatever, right? To feel that same elation from words on the stage and to get a reaction from a crowd over something I did on the stage is like a brand new phenomenon for me as a young black man. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. For real. Yeah. You convincing convincing me, maybe we need to try it, you know. Yeah. Oh, sure, man. Class, yeah. man. Yeah, so so back to poetry, when I go yeah. do an open mic night, 
if, if it doesn't always yet, open mic night, you ever did that? Yeah. Okay, well, cool. But I'm on open mic night. I'm just acting, bro. I'm just acting. Because mm. it's all in body language and facial expressions and hand movements. Some poets are not that hot. But I'm watching them and I'm seeing them get scored. You only had big body language and, and facial expressions. So the crowd just think you're saying something so dope. You ain't saying nothing. But your hands, and your, it's like, be, like being a battle rapper. You just, mm. you know, you're doing the gun motions and you're doing the, <laughs> and it's so tough. You ain't saying nothing right there. <laughs> it's acting, bro. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's performance. You, you know? Yeah, man. So what would you say are your top five 50 Cent songs of all time? You gonna do me like that? I, I too. I too. That was rough. <laughs> that was rough. Okay, so so you got many men, of course, many men. Mm, I'm thinking of what's in my head. I remember the actual was title sometimes, right? Mm. Oh, the one he had with, uh, with Eminem, patiently waiting. I've been patiently waiting for a track to explode. Um, you know what I'm uh, talking about? I actually don't think I've heard that. Don't yeah, know. No, my, no. Man, my man, like, hell no. I saw him dropping bars. I, was, yeah, nah. I, I think it's called Patiently Waiting, though. Yeah, it's yeah, on his yeah. first album. It's a track with him and Eminem. Eminem smashed that track by. Wow. Eminem killed him on his own track. He was spit. <laughs> right. I know. Wow, so that, that, that's two. Oh, this, this is a very important one right here. On his second album, he had a song called like the Baltimore, Baltimore Love thing or something like that, right? So this is called personification. Mm. Let me drop a little word on y'all. So in writing, personification is like you're writing from the perspective of an object or a thing or something like that. Like it's a damn, I waste my water on my damn. Like it's a person, right? Mm. So 50 Cent in that song, he's rapping as if he is heroin. Oh, snap. It's dope. It's dope. Wow. It might take you more than one listen to catch what he's doing. Mm. It's like uh, Tupac with the, me and my girlfriend. Mm. It sounds like it's about a girl. He's talking about a gun the whole time. Wow. Me and my girlfriend. The whole time he's talking about guns. Right? Right. Kind of like uh, Wild, Nas, Wild Keisha. That's that's like our modern form of that. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, uh, Nas had a song called, uh, it's called I Give You Power. Mm. And he's rapping about being a gun. In his drug dealer's possession. Mm. Then the track, the drug dealer gets shot. He get dropped. He thinking I'm free. I'm out of this guy's possession. And somebody else pick him up at the end of the song. Dang. Yeah. Wow. So 50 Cent song, the uh, Baltimore Love thing is kind of like that. And I, I just really was fascinated the way he did that uh, writing wise. That, that's very difficult to do. Mm. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. So there's that. Um, I like more of his aggressive, like hard songs, bro. Like when I'm in the gym working out, I like more of his aggressive, aggressive tracks, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, oh another one. I get number four. Uh, one of my favorite rappers is uh Biggest Smalls. Favorite of all time is Biggest Smalls. Mm -hmm. So Biggest Smalls song called Victory is like my favorite Biggest Smalls song. Mm -hmm. So back to G U and the Mixtape Run, they did uh, a re a remake of the Victory song. What? They killed it. I gotta, I gotta they listen it. to these, yo. They killed yeah, it, bro. They killed it. The G Unit mixtapes, bro. If you missed the G Unit mixtape run, see this whole fifth the greatest rapper debate is tough because 
most of my favorite rappers, their mixtape run is better than the albums to me. Really? Like before they quote unquote sign. Yeah. Like to me, the old Drake is way better than what he do in the past 10 years, whatever. The old Drake is like the one. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I love old Drake. Wow. The, the Lil Wayne squad up, the squad up mixtape, the drought mixtapes, uh, the drought is over mixtapes, you know, all those. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the Jeezy mixtape one, the T.I. mixtape one. Like, I, I can name so many guys where I feel they were better wow. before they got money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had that hunger, man. Yeah, right. You start getting money and popping bottles and, you know, you champagne poppy now and the, I can't get into all that. But it, it, it's just something different now, man. 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 Thank you so much, thank you, thank for, you, for oh, coming oh, on. Thank you, man. This has been just just fun. And how far is New Orleans from Lafayette? Probably about an hour and a half from Lafayette. Okay, I live right. in St. Martinville, so it's probably like two hours from me. But Lafayette gotcha. specific, about an hour and a half from Lafayette, probably. Gotcha, right, gotcha. Yeah. Matter of fact, they got a Jasmine Ward book signing at the Baldwin and Company. Yeah. Uh, the black-owned bookstore is going to be her and KSA Layman. I'm trying to make my way there, bro. It's a two-hour drive back and forth. I'm at, I'm at it? to do I got, I got. It's like November the, November the 4th or something like that. Okay. Man. I got to do it. I'm going to call off work or something. I got to do it. I got to get there, bro. To see them in person, bro? Yeah, crazy. Both of them is crazy. Yeah, because Jasmine Ward is just like I said. But that one book I read, I want to read her whole entire canon, all of her backlog, and that new joint that's dropping. I'm going to get it that day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Ballers Read with Sean P. We were so excited to have him on, and you can follow him at Jonathan the Grio Polidor on Instagram, and you can get your copy of the Fiftieth Law at your local bookstore or library. And you can find all of Sean P's books on Amazon, searching for Jonathan Polidor. We can't wait for you all to listen to the next episode and we will catch you soon.